and it's going to count down a minute. And I want you to raise your hand when you think a minute has gone by. Okay? And you can't count. Counting is cheating. Cheating is lying. Liars go to hell. <laughs> Do not count. Just, I'm going to push start, and then when you think a minute's gone up, or a minute's gone by, you just slip your hand up. Everybody's eyes are closed, so nobody will know who's right and who's wrong. On your mark, get set, go. Good. <clears throat> Somebody here raised their hand after 13 seconds. So you might have too much stress in your life. They did this with uh, air traffic controllers, and their average, I think, was two seconds. They thought a minute was too, their life was so packed that they thought a minute was two seconds. A minute is a minute. It's always 60 seconds. Sometimes we perceive it as short or long. If I had been trying to extract your tooth without Novocaine during that 60 seconds. It probably would have felt like a whole lot longer. If you were eating your favorite food, it might have felt a lot shorter. It's, it's 60 seconds, but we experience a minute differently depending on what's going on. And I think one of the things that makes a minute seem like more than a minute is waiting. When we're waiting for something, especially something big, a minute can seem like an hour, days seem like weeks, weeks seem like months, months seem like years. Uh, we just came out of Advent, which is a season where we're waiting for and celebrating the coming of Jesus. Christmas, obviously, is the end of that because that's when Jesus came the first time. And so we kind of transition uh, and don't focus necessarily on his coming anymore. But as I was thinking about that, and we talked about Jesus' coming for three or four weeks there since Thanksgiving. A, a theme that seemed to keep recurring was what are we individually and collectively believing God for? What is it that we want God to do? If God is who we think he is, who the Bible says he is, then he should be, there should be fruit produced. There should be results when he works. And I don't know, unless you think everything right now is lining up exactly how God wants it, I would say things would look different than they do, at least in some cases, if God were to work. Again, if, if, if what we know of him in the Bible is true, and I would say it is, and our understanding of that is true, and that's partially so. Obviously, we don't know him fully. I would think, and maybe you would agree with me, that there would be stuff happening. There would be things that haven't changed that would change. Some things that are happening would not happen. And some things that aren't happening would. There would be fruit. There would be tangible evidence of this God who's all-powerful and all-loving and all-knowing and all-good doing stuff. And that was kind of a theme that ran through as we talked about Advent, was what is it that we're believing God to do? What are we asking God to do? We talked about 
gifts? What is it that God wants to give to us individually or collectively or to our community? What are these things that he wants to do? And I think that'll be a theme for us for the next few months. I've been thinking about this idea of the difference between being a dreamer and being a doer. And we're going to talk about that starting uh, next week for the next few months. But today, this is kind of preliminary for that because there's a tension between saying, God, I want you to do something, I'm believing you to do something, and I'm standing in faith, and all of those things that we say and the reality that sometimes it doesn't seem like he's doing anything and we're just waiting. And that minute seems really, 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 really long when we're waiting for God to do something, especially if it's something that's important to us, something big in our life. It can be really hard to wait. And it made me think of this lady. Uh, This is Luke 2, starting in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Mary and Joseph took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves, or two young pigeons. So skip down to verse 36. There's also a prophetess, Anna. She was a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna waited a long time. Most likely she got married about 14 She was a widow by 21. She's 84 when we read. So that's a 63-year time span. Most of you hadn't even sniffed 63. 63 years that, according to the Bible, night and day, she fasted and prayed and worshipped. And she's the focus of all of that, it says, is the redemption of Jerusalem. So she's praying for the Messiah to come, for God to come to, to make things right. 63 years. Let's just say she went eight hours a day, five days a week. So that's a 40-hour work week. Let's say she did that 50 weeks a year because everybody needs a couple of weeks off for 63 years. That's about 7.5 million minutes. Same thing. Worshiping, fasting, praying. God, send the Messiah, send the Messiah, send the Messiah. That's a lot of minutes to wait. Like, I don't know how many times she wanted to throw in the towel. I don't know how many times she got frustrated. I don't know how many times she was angry that God wasn't doing. How many times she thought, this is it. And it wasn't it. Maybe, maybe now, and it wasn't. I don't know what that was like for her, but she waited for a really long time for God to finally answer these prayers that she had been praying. And I want to look at her a little bit this morning and see if she has anything to say to us. And one of the things I would say is when it gets down to it, you really only have two choices with, when it comes to this idea of receiving from God, believing God to work in your life. You only have two choices. You can either wait or you can quit. That's it. You can either wait for him to do something or you can give up and say he's not going to. And I think most of us, by default, give up. We quit. Some of us have a longer attention span than others. Some of us have more discipline than others. So maybe I give up after a week and maybe you don't give up till after a month. But a lot of us, we just, we quit. And we don't do it consciously or intentionally. God, I quit. I hate you. You're not going to work in my life. It's just kind of by default. Well, I've been asking for this, and he hasn't been doing it, so my assumption is he's not going to. So I'm just going to go on with my life as if he's not going to do anything. And then if he does, that's great. I'll be surprised. But I'm tired of waiting. 
And really, when we say we're tired of waiting, we're tired of hoping and being disappointed. That's kind of another story for another day, but that's really kind of the emotional thing that's tied into that is waiting can produce hope, and hope, if it's not fulfilled, produces disappointment. That's in the Bible. God knows that. And so that can be hard for us, especially for big things, things that are important, things that we need. How long do we have to wait? And at some point, we just get tired of waiting. And I don't, again, I don't think it's intentional or conscious. I just think just kind of slowly we just quit believing that God's going to do whatever it is. Whatever it is for you, whatever it is for me. I just believe he's not going to do it. And I just go on with my life like it is never going to happen. And then if it does, that's great. And I'll be surprised. But at least I won't have to be disappointed anymore. And so I've moved by default into quitting. That's not what Anna did. Anna waited. And that's the first thing for us. If we're going to relate with God, if we're going to believe him to work, at some point we're going to have to learn how to wait. Because he doesn't always do things like this. There, there are factors beyond our control, things bigger than us, things that we can't get our mind around that he's doing, and we've got to learn to wait. Sometimes you'll get an answer really quickly, and those are great times. Build your faith, and it's awesome, and yay, here comes a parade. A lot of times, that's not how it works. There's a period of waiting, and the waiting can be very difficult. And I wonder how many of us, and this is not a guilt thing, just a wonder, how many of us have we've given up and it was, it was right around the corner. If we had just waited. Like I wonder how many times Anna thought about giving up. But she waited. She stuck it out. And she saw the answer to her prayer. So the first thing is we've got to learn how to wait. In the Bible you probably know this. There's a couple of different words for time. One is chronos. And that's like this kind of watch time. Calendar time. Duration of time. So if somebody says what time is it? That's chronos. It's 12.02. And then there's kairos. K A. I-R-O-S, I think is how you spell it. And that's more like the right time, the right season, the, the time to do something. So if I were to ask you, have you proposed yet? Have you asked your boss for a raise? Are you go, have you decided if you're going to go back to school? Those are kind of, and you said, no, it's not the right time. You don't mean it's not the right time on your watch or the right day on your calendar. What you mean is things aren't lined up. The circumstances aren't right for me to do that yet. You're talking about Kairos, Kairos time. Factors are, have not lined themselves up. Circumstances aren't right for me to do that. It's not the right time. And I think that's the kind of time God is concerned about. We're concerned about chronos time because that's what we live in. We live in a world with watches and calendars and, all, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's when we think of time, that's what we think of. When is it going to happen? On the, can I put it in my day timer? Even if it's five years away, if I could put it in my planner... If I could put it on my Google Calendar, I'd be okay because I'd know that day's eventually going to come. Even if it's a long time away, I know it's eventually going to come, but most of the things that most of your it's, whatever it is that you're wanting God to do, you can't put it on a calendar. And that's what can be so frustrating. It's not a matter of knowing when it's going to come and then just waiting until that. It's not like Christmas. You know December 25th is going to come. Or you know you're going to turn 16 at some point and you're going to get your driver's license. You know you're going to turn 18 and you're going to be an adult and you're going to move out. There are things that even if they seem like a long way away, we know they're going to come eventually. But most of the it's that we're thinking about, you can't put it on the calendar because there are no guarantees. It's a matter of all these factors lining up. And most of those factors are beyond our control. And so a lot of us tend to quit because we get tired of waiting for God to do all this. 
before, about 300 years before Jesus was born, Alexander the Great kind of swept through the known world, conquered everything. And one of the things that he did was he instituted uh, Greek as kind of the, the universal language. Everyone in his empire was supposed to know Greek. That was the language of the day. In 280 B.C., the Old Testament, the only Bible anyone had at that time, the Old Testament was translated into Greek. So you've got this one language, Greek, that's spoken by most of the people in the known world, and you have the Old Testament, the, re- the, the record of who God is and how he has acted in history, translated into that language. The Jews at this point were scattered. One author said the Jews filled every land and sea. There were Jews everywhere. So you've got one language, this one revelation of God, the Old Testament, translated into that language, and then the people of God who have personal testimony of who God is scattered throughout the, this known world, also speaking this same language. The Romans come in, and one of the things that they do is they build roads connecting this vast empire of them so they make it easy to travel. And they established a time of peace called the Pax Romana, I think it was. There wasn't fighting. There was a time of peace so people could travel back and forth. So in the, the, the 300 or so years preceding Jesus' birth, you've got one language. You've got the Bible translated into that language. You've got the people of God who can speak that language spread over the empire. You've got roads that connect all of the major cities. And you've got an, an, uh, an atmosphere of peace so people can travel. Now, if you're God and you've got a message that you want as many people as possible to hear in a language they understand, does it make sense to send your son at that point? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Anna didn't know any of that. She didn't know. She had no idea these things that were so much bigger than her that were going on behind the scenes. We can look back and in retrospect say, oh, it was the perfect time. Romans 5, 6, at just the right time, Kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S, Jesus came. We can say that looking back retrospectively. Anna, in the midst of her 7,560,000 minutes of waiting, she can't see that. She only has two choices, trust God or give up, continue to wait or quit. And that's where most of us are with our it's. Whatever it is, that's where most of us are. When it happens, you'll be able to look back and say, at just the right time. But as long as you're in it, you can't say that because the things going on are outside your perspective. You can't see them and I can't see them. It's only looking back that we can. And so we have a choice. Am I going to choose to wait and trust that God is trustworthy, believe that he's trustworthy, live like he's trustworthy, or am I going to quit? Those are really your only two options. So if you choose to wait, there are a couple other things you need to know. One is you need to be willing, you need to anticipate that God will actually fulfill his promises. And this is hard. This is where the hope thing comes in. You've got hope and disappointment and you can kind of swing on this pendulum and I think it's okay to have bad days, but over the course of a week or a month or a year, whatever it is, are you more default hope or are you more default disappointment? And I would look at that. But if you're going to wait, you need to do it with anticipation. We're going to really spend the next few months talking about this, so I'm not going to hammer it right now, but I will just say this. I have three children, and so I say this with a little bit of experience. All eight-day-old babies look the same. They look like tree frogs, every one of them. They're small bodies, spindly arms, spindly legs, and they kind of sprawl out. They don't look like anybody. I don't believe anybody that can look at a baby who's a newborn and say, oh, you look just like your mama. No, they don't unless your mama's a frog. No, they don't. And if they're all racially the same, you can't tell them apart. 
You can't. Anna, I don't know how many babies come up that day. How many eight-day-olds are being dedicated that day? But somehow she zeroes in on Jesus. He didn't have a halo. There wasn't a shaft of light. There weren't angel courses in the background. Somehow she's sensitive enough to the Lord that she can pick out Jesus. So seven and a half million minutes of waiting, there's at least a part of her heart that still was anticipating today's the day. And she'd maybe been disappointed for 62 years and 364 days. But on this day, that little part of her heart that said today could be the day, it was the day. And the same thing is true for us. There's got to be a part of you that believes today can be the day. If you never anticipate God working, He's not going to work that much. Occasionally, yeah, He'll surprise you. But we, if you... If you've shut the door and said, if you're never expecting it, if you're never looking for it, it's not going to be good. It's going to be really hard for him to get in there if you haven't given him any space to do it. And I know that's hard if you've been waiting for a long time for something that's really important to you. It's hard to keep that window open because it does open you up to be disappointed for 62 years and 364 days. But it's worth it on the one when he comes and you get it. So you want to be, you want to anticipate that. And then the last thing I would say is in your anticipation, you need to be flexible. We've talked about this before. Jesus didn't fit the profile. An eight-day-old baby doesn't fit the profile of the Messiah the way most people read the Old Testament. Anna had the same Bible everybody else did. They were looking for a warrior king, somebody like David, who would come with a, on a white horse with a sword and he would kick out the Roman occupiers and establish Jerusalem as an independent nation again. They weren't looking for an eight-day-old baby with two nondescript parents from some backwater town. That's somehow Anna, again, was sensitive enough to the Lord that she was able to see the answer to her prayers even when it came in a package that was different than she anticipated. Jesus defied her expectations, but she was still sensitive enough to God that she was able to recognize him. You've heard of the Pygmalion effect that says that what a teacher thinks of their student, they, they either rise or fall to that level. If you're, if, you have, if you're a teacher, if you have a teacher and they think you're smart, you tend to perform well. If they think you're dumb, you tend to perform poorly. There's a Harvard psychologist, his name was Rosenthal. He kind of pioneered this whole theory. And he had a, a class of these, again, these Harvard guys and he had a group of rats. And what he said, what he told his students, he divided the class into half. And he said, these rats have been genetically modified. This half, this group of rats have been genetically modified to be super intelligent. So this is the smart rats, and you guys get them. This group of rats, no. These are regular rats, and so they're dumb. So we've got smart rats for you guys, dumb rats for you guys. And they spent time with them over the course of the semester. And at the end, they had them run through a maze. And what happens, what you think happened. This, the smart rats blew out the dumb rats in the race, just like you think would happen. And then at the end, the Professor Rosenthal stands up and says, here's the deal. The rats were the same. We didn't do anything to any of the rats. The only difference was the emotional support. I don't know how you do that to a rat. The emotional support that you gave the rats. That was it. Think about that. Rats. Nasty, dirty, kill them when you see them rats were affected by the expectations of the students. The students treated the rats like that treated the rats like they were smart and the rats acted smart. 
verifiably with the stopwatch. Students treated the rats like they were dumb, and the rats acted dumb, verifiable with the stopwatch. The power of our expectations. We don't get it, how much our expectations shape. And the same thing happens with us in the Lord. Whatever your it is, if there's a package around it, there's wrapping paper on it. You need to make sure the wrapping paper is something the Lord has told you to hang on to. If it's just your idea, then you've created expectations for how God's got to work. And if he works in any other way, you're going to miss it. I don't know how many people were at the temple that day. Hundreds. I don't know how many of them saw Jesus being presented by Mary and Joseph. And we know two people who recognized him. Simeon, we didn't talk about him, and Anna. We don't know of anybody else that's recorded in the Bible that got it. Some of those guys were smarter than Anna. They were smarter than Simeon. They knew the Bible better. They knew what they were looking for. But because the Messiah came in a different wrapper, they missed it completely. And the same thing can happen for us. I talk to people pretty regularly. I've talked to guys before. Philippians 4.19 very clearly says, God will provide what you need. Very clearly, explicit. People grab onto that verse. I've talked to guys who do this. God, I know he's going to provide for me. It's not happening. They're frustrated, angry. God's not doing this. They've turned down three jobs because they weren't in the right area. They had to drive too far. They didn't want to commute. It wasn't in their chosen field. They were going to have to give up a second car in order to do it. He is providing for you. It's just not in the package that you thought he was providing for you. Parents, couples want to have children. We know God's desire to be fruitful. and multiple. He wants people to have children. That can come in a lot of different ways. It's biological, it's adoption, foster kids, spiritual children. There's so many different ways that that can look. And if you've got a package in your head, if you've got gift wrapping, You've got to be willing to be flexible with that. Now, there are things that God will specifically put in your heart, and you don't need to compromise on those for anything. If God has specifically said A, then you need to stand on A until A comes and just be willing to live with the consequences. But if he hadn't, then don't. It's an idol. That's all that is. You've created this image in your head of the way God's supposed to act, and you're going to miss it if he doesn't. It's what the Pharisees did. They believed the promises for God to send a Messiah. They were, yes, they were believing for that. But they had a package. And when the Messiah came in a different wrapper, they missed him completely. They killed him. We don't want to do that. So you've got to be flexible. What's the heart of what God has promised to you? That takes a little work on the front end. What is the, what's the, the core of what God has promised you? And then what's the package that you've put around it? What are the assumptions that you've made? That make you a bad person. That's what we do. We assume things. And are those expectations affecting how God works in your life? It could be that the reason you're waiting, and I think this is just a small percentage of people, but you might fall in this category, at least for some period of time. I do think there are times where God waits because there's something in us or in our life that keeps him from, from working. And that's an easy fix. All you do is say, God, is there something in my life, in my heart, that's keeping you from working? And he'll say yes or no. And if he says yes, then you say, give me the grace to fix it. And he will, and then you move on. That's not a period of 10 years of self-examination or anything. It's quick. God wants to give good gifts. You don't have to kill yourself for five years trying to figure out what's wrong with you. It could be that these bigger things are going on. So that's 
over here. I think for, for more of us, one of the reasons that it's difficult is because we have, we've created expectations for how God is supposed to work. And then when he does it, we just miss him at work. It's not that he's not working. It's just it's a baby and not a warrior king, and so I miss it completely. And I'm frustrated because he's not working in my life. So that's something for you just to kind of, whatever your it is, what's the core of that? How much detail has God really given to you? And it could be a lot. If you've got a book, then hold on to the book and don't let me convince you otherwise. But if all you've got is a note card, then hold on to the note card and get rid of the rest of the book and let him work in the way that he wants to work. It's better than the way you want him to work anyway because he's better than you are. He's better at being good than we are at being good. And so we want to trust him with that, even though that can seem tricky at first. Do you hear what I'm saying? Good. So, wait, that's your choice. You either wait or you quit. If you choose to wait in the midst of that, you want to continue to anticipate God working in your life, which can be very hard because you open yourself up to disappointment, but that's just the way it is. And I would say it's worth the disappointment for the ultimate payoff of when you get it. When it comes, it's worth however many days or weeks or months or years of disappointment you've had to go through to get there. But as you're anticipating, be flexible and make sure that you're open to all of the ways God wants to answer this prayer and give you this gift, all the ways God wants to give it to you, not just the one that you've kind of locked away. Unless, and this is a huge caveat, unless... God's been that specific with you. And if he's been that specific with you, you need to hang on to that no matter what. And you just kind of live with the consequences of that. If that's what you're hanging on for, then we want to encourage you in that as well. Good? Let's pray. couple of different things or maybe categories and maybe you fall into one. God, first I want to pray.